Hello, you are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode was recorded on September 30th, 2019 at the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies. In this podcast, we welcome Dr. James Miller, Professor Emeritus from Clemson University, who discusses the joint Moroccan-American archaeological project at the site of ancient Sigil Massa and the publication of the book he co-authored with Ronald Messier, The Last Civilized Place, Sigil Massa and Its Saharan Destiny. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here in Tangier at the American Legation with John, John Davison. I always like to come to Tangier. It's where the not only the continents meet, but uh, people who are very interesting come here. And uh, the American Legation is certainly the center of a lot of uh, intellectual and, uh, how should I say, social interest and has a deep history in itself. But John, I think you've invited me here today to talk about Sigil Massa. I have, but, and, but thank you and welcome back. It's, uh, I know Tangier is almost like a third home for you in Morocco, but obviously one of your original homes was Sigil Massa. Well, yes, Sigil Massa is a place uh, deep in history and where uh, something we have called the Moroccan-American project at Sigil Massa which we've acronymed into MAPS, uh, began in 1988 and continued for a decade and in many ways continues still today an archaeological excavation of the medieval caravan site that was Sigil Massa. And what, what, what exactly was Sigil Massa? Well, Sigil Massa is a lot of things. It's, uh, well, I would say first it's a medieval caravan center. If we were to find it in a textbook or an index, uh, it might be there. It's a city. It's, it was uh, along the capital of the Oasis district, Morocco's largest single oasis called the Tafilelt. And it was uh, for a long time before uh, modern times, really its own place in the world. And by that, I mean, uh, it was a kingdom under a, a dynasty that prevailed uh, with periods that broke the, the continuity of that history, but was regrouped uh, in the first, what I would call the first period of Sijamasa. Sijamasa was the first city founded by people who came from the East who were Muslims in Morocco. Really? Yes, 757, and as it happens, this is the 1,300th anniversary year of Sigil Massa. That's excellent. In the Islamic calendar, this is 1,300 years of uh, the life of that city. And who were those people who came? Well, they were uh, people who eventually founded a dynasty here. Uh, they, um, they first influenced uh, the local people uh, by bringing them the message of Islam. And this was a message that was in, in the, the terminology of Arabic and Islam today, sometimes misunderstood, but these were the, what we call in English, the Harajites, Khawarij in Arabic. And they came from Mesopotamia, today's Iraq. And uh, they were, um, as many 
uh, early Arab, Arabic manuscripts tell us. They were chased down and hunted, murdered. In the east, they spread far and wide. They spread to the east to Persia, and uh, they came in uh, waves across North Africa, northern Africa, from Egypt to Morocco, and they founded settlements largely but not exclusively on the edge of the desert. And Sijamasa emerged as probably the greatest of these. Uh, they established cities in, throughout the countries we call today uh, Algeria mm -hmm. and Morocco. And this is before modern. And these, the modern were, these were new, new cities that they built. That is correct, yeah. And Sijamasa is a very fortunate location. It's on the, the River Ziz and uh, the, the river also Ris, mm -hmm. and uh, where they nearly converge, and that's the kind of work that, actually the kind of uh, geographic situation that uh, brought me into the project as a geographer in an archeological project that had six seasons, full seasons of digging uh, between 1988 and 1998. Uh, the project was initiated by the historian Ronald Messier, mm -hmm. uh, professor at Middle Tennessee State University who had been trained in numismatics at Michigan, the University of Michigan, and whose interest in coinage in the medieval period led him to uh, question, where did these Amoravid dinars come from? How, what was the mint? Where was Sijomasa? Did it really exist? And so he came, Ron came uh, in 1987 on a prospection mission that led to a formal agreement uh, between Middle Tennessee State University and the Ministry of Culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we proceeded with uh, archaeological excavations hand in hand with the Institut National Supérieur uh, de l'Archéologie et du Patrimoine, today known as INSAP, under the aegis of the Ministry of Culture. And uh, we had, uh, in these six seasons of digging, we had teams of archaeologists from both Morocco and the United States, and always a good number of Moroccan archaeology mm -hmm. students. So Sijamasa was in a way a, lot, a kind of laboratory for those 10 years, and many of our colleagues today who are professors of, of archaeology and history were formed at the site at Sijamasa, mm -hmm. and that's something we're quite proud of. You said it, that it was a myth almost. What, what actually was there when you first started the digs? Well, there had been uh, prospection. Uh, there had been prospection in the 1920s uh, by French uh, archaeologists and others who were interested in the site. The site was, in effect, vague and mysterious to most people. Everyone in Morocco knows the word Sijinlasa, but most people do not know if it's where it is and if, it, if there's anything still there and so on. And so uh, Ron went to the site, and this is back in the uh, mid eighties. And then uh, as I mentioned, the, the dig proceeded with the first full season in 1988. And I visited the site when they were working in 1988. But to answer your questions, it, it did have a kind of myth-like status. And uh, we have often called it a kind of El Dorado that um, has led to uh, the interest that we had have 
and others. And of course, we found the place quite real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a vast site uh, near and adjacent to the modern town of Risani. Uh, what was of interest in, in Sijomasa? Why was it important? Well, it was the uh, organizer of the caravan trade across the Sahara for hundreds of years. And it was the organizer and conductor of the trade in gold. Gold from ancient Ghana. Where was ancient Ghana? We don't quite know. But we think in the Niger River Basin, perhaps in southeastern Mauritania, there's wonderful descriptions of ancient Ghana by the writer El Bekri, who is a source of great information for us, who uh, died in uh, Almeria in 1055 A.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you, you know, the, the work we, we did with the American archaeologists, historians, uh, people who analyze things like pollen and bones and all of these interesting things that you find in the ground, uh, people uh, here in Morocco who were uh, students of archaeology and professional archaeologists, Uh, led to an astounding uh, kind of uh, interplay uh, among the disciplines to explore this site. I joined the site uh, in 1992, I joined the project in 1992 and continued uh, after that point and eventually the uh, material and findings and experiences that we had led to the publication of a book on Sijomasa entitled The Last Civilized Place, Sijomasa and Its Saharan Destiny, published by the University of Texas Press Mm -hmm. in 2015. And I just want to add that this is a book which seems to be leading a life of its own. It has interest the Ministry of Culture here, and we uh, believe that it will be published soon in French here in Morocco. It won the award for the best book in North African studies in 2016, of which we're very proud. And it is a a tale of the dig and the history and the significance of the place. And it's being translated into French, so it will become It has been translated, now we're in the publication stage. You are, congratulations. Well, thank you, John. But making it accessible is important, I would imagine, because you you say that Sijomasa, that people know about the idea of Sijomasa. Would you say that people know now more about the reality of it? Is it a place that people visit? What what is Sijomasa? What is the significance of Sijomasa in Morocco in twenty twenty uh, in twenty nineteen? Well, as I mentioned, everyone knows the word. Everyone knows that somehow it's important in Moroccan history. Uh, what people don't know is there was a real living place and its life uh, extended over at least a millennium. Uh, the last refurbishment of the place was in the late 1700s by Sultan Muley Abdallah, who uh, re-roofed and rebuilt uh, the, uh, the Grand Mosque at the site, which is the only real standing structure, and it's simply the adobe walls Mm -hmm. that stand there today. It's very difficult to understand the site without explanation by those who actually work there. Mm -hmm. Um, The site is, if I could go on into the nature of the site, 
Uh, it's uh, something on the order of three kilometers long along the Wed Seas, the River Seas, and it's um, just about a kilometer wide. So it's a kind of long, sinuous rectangle. Once again, we have a very good uh, ex uh, description of the site by El Bekri in his cosmography. Uh, but that's the sigil mass of 1055, mm -hmm. uh, no later. The, at that very time, sigil Masa was the object of conquest by the Almoravid movement. And so sigil Masa uh, first has um, a history of this separate dynasty that uh, ruled over the region. And then uh, the, that's the Madrarid. Uh, period, the Madrar, the uh, people who came uh, in the way back from Iraq, from uh, Mesopotamia, and then was conquered by the Almoravids. They had to conquer it twice. It's all a very interesting story. Before that, in the 900s AD, the uh, Fatimids of Spain had attempted to conquer it and did for a little bit. And everybody knew that this was the place where gold was. But of course, they were the transitors. They were the, the conveyors of gold. They, there was no gold at the site. And the Almoravids <clears throat> expanded everything. They were the great builders. And they were followed by the Almohad, and they were followed by, they were followed by the Maranin, by the Watasid, by the Alawi, who's, uh, as often said in France, French, this is the berceau des Alouites, this is the cradle of the Alouites because they came there in the 1200s by sigil masa, people who went to the east, went on Hajj to the Hejaz, to Arabia, to look for people with uh, holy qualities, with baraka and saintliness and, and learning. And they, they convinced uh, them to come as um, teachers, as alim, to... Uh, to Sijomasa, where they lived for decades and, and literally hundreds of years before they began to piece together the nature of modern Morocco in uh, the period of the early 1600s and onward. So this is a very exciting place historically. What we have found in the site uh, archaeologically is a kind of sandwich mm -hmm. of Moroccan history. But the sandwich that's the earliest, the farthest down the Madra, Madra period mm -hmm. is in many ways the most interesting because, well, it's all interesting, but the Madrar had their own private kingdom, if you will. They organized the gold trade. How they did that, we really don't know, but we reached uh, at the bottom level in a couple of our pits, we reached the Madrar and we know that they were Ibadi, as we would probably most likely call them today, of their own type. They're mm -hmm. Sufri, not Sufi, but Sufri What's that? sect. It's a sect of the Ibadis who are a sect mm -hmm. of Islam, generally under the, the, uh, the big uh, uh, cover, we would call it, of uh, the Kharijite movement uh, from the very earliest days of the uh, righteous caliphates. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, the, the original split in Islam was Sunni. Eventually, these became, it took hundreds of years for Sunni to become known as Sunni and Shia become Shia. But there's also always the Abadi or Khawarish. And of course, the remnant population, which is very vibrant, 
of the Abadis in North Africa or in southern Tunisia, particularly on the island of Jerba, and inland from there, and then in the Mazab in Algeria, Algeria. where the Ibadi faith continues. Ibadi uh, procedures. Around Sigil Massa? No, no. nothing continued Mm -hmm. in Morocco because, largely because of the Almoravid expansion, which this was the first place because of its wealth, because as you know, the Almoravids were Saharan people themselves, where exactly they came from in their ribat, we don't really know, but a lot of speculation, good informed speculation, has been done over many, many years by scholars, but they came out of the Sahara and they conquered Morocco, today's Morocco. They conquered all of the Maghreb, they conquered Andalus, they changed the entire picture of the geopolitics of the Western Mediterranean. And of course, they were succeeded by the Almohads. Now, what's, what's interesting in Sijomasa is the mosque became our lab because the mosque was rebuilt successively by the different dynasties. Mm-hmm. And this, co- this coheres with the um, way that the mosques were reoriented and rebuilt elsewhere in Morocco, throughout Morocco. And there's been good archaeology on this. So uh, we know that Sijamasa was very much a part of this dynastic evolution. Yeah, it, so it became part of, beyond its commercial value, mm. it, it retained a political and theological, is it too much to say, a theological importance mm-hmm. during a long period of its history? Well, actually, this is an interesting question. You know, there are two very important medieval Islamic archaeological sites right now that are being explored right now. One is Ahmat at, um, in the Orica Valley near Marrakesh, and the other is Iglis in the Anti-Atlas Mountains. Iglis is the first Rabat, the first stronghold of the Almohad ruler Ibn Tumart. And that's a dig that has been uh, expanding over time. It's really quite astounding on top of a mountain. It's about 60 kilometers south of Teradant. And that's underway with our colleague Abdullah Fili, who's uh, one of, originally one of our students and now professor of history okay. at, at uh, the University in El Jdida. And uh, very much a part of all of this program, is, as well as others. Are you working on any of those? I am not. I, as you know, John, I was the uh, director of the Fulbright program here in mm-hmm. Morocco after retiring from a career at Clemson University, mm-hmm. and I, uh, I had an administrative career over the last ten years and consider myself retired. And well, it I'm, seems like you're still following. Them very well, closely. retirement is a it's a sometimes thing, and uh, so. Well, you're, as I understand, you're here in Morocco on this visit to go back to Sigil Massa. Yeah, I, I, tell I, us about I am. Well, what the future of Sigil Massa. Well, the future of Sigil Massa is um, one that I think the Ministry of Culture is taking in hand uh, a lot of sites right now of interest and wondering how they can be open to the public. And Ron and I have written a paper on this recently which will be uh, presented at a conference on Sijomasa. And we, we are very uh, interested in ensuring that the public begins with the Moroccan public, especially with the Moroccan school children 
who um, will learn of the significance of Sijamasa, that it's older than Fez, that uh, the, uh, the independent dynasty of the Madrar uh, were extremely important in their own way. And that is to say that there, it was their kingdom, it was the southern part of what is today the, the uh, Morocco was very much theirs and they conducted this long distance trade with what we so uh, glibly call Africa mm-hmm. uh, connecting north and south and I think that's of great significance for Moroccans and people generally in the world today is that Morocco has had these long distance connections with Africa south of the Sahara. This was not only gold, but it was the major source of gold for the Mediterranean world for uh, many hundreds of years. And the gold from Sijamasa has been found, for example, at Cluny in France, uh, caches of gold coins, uh, and as far east as Aqaba, at the uh, head of uh, the, uh, the sea. And uh, in, so Sijamasa had influence far and wide. And uh, we, we think of Sijamasa as this city, perhaps at its apogee in the 1300s, reaching 20 or 30,000 people, mm-hmm. uh, which was large, very large. Uh, consider the size of Venice or London at the time. Uh, uh, we know that from medieval records that, that uh, the fleets of caravan were enormous, hundreds and hundreds right. of camels with organizers and schedules. And uh, it wasn't just gold, it was human beings, it was slaves, it was ivory, it was uh, musk and uh, feathers and uh, ivory. And pilgrims? Oh, it was a two-way direction. Sijomaso brought Islam to ancient Ghana. And really? we, oh yes, the first Islam in West Africa. Today's uh, West Africa, what has traditionally been known as Sudan. Uh, we, we know that from medieval records. We know that the caravan trade was not just commerce. It was spiritual as well. And the production of, or the, I should say, the, the transportation of, of um, spiritual leaders and holy books, the Holy Quran, went south and the gold came north. So this was a very important place and it had worldwide reach. It was a global place in an earlier time and that earlier time has many different stages. Each dynasty, the Moroccan dynasties, the Madrar, they had their own characteristics, their own qualities. And so Sijomasa was, was uh, a place at the edge of the desert, so well located by the Madrar in their own way of kind of shielding themselves from the rest of the Islamic world, protecting their separate nature mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and uh, developing this really fantastic trade across the desert. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, this is a story that really, it's great that you and Ron have told the story uh, and it's wonderful that, the, that your book is being translated, but I, I liked what you said about the need 
for the story to especially be shared with Moroccan young young people and Moroccan students, and why not West African mm. young people and West African students? Since it seems like it's their story well, too. Absolutely, and I want to say that the exhibit at the Block Museum at Northwestern University called Caravans of Gold, which is just finished in Chicago, now moved to Toronto and will move to the uh, Museum of African History at the Smithsonian in Washington mm -hmm. in the spring of 2020, encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about here. Not just Sijamasa, it has brought together objects and scholars and there's a wonderful catalog uh, from uh, Morocco, the other countries of Maghreb, and America, and West Africa. And so you see that Africa, North and South, has a deep intertwined history. It's not, how should I say, it's not a Panavision history. It's not wide and broad. It's narrow in its scope. It's all about this trade. And it's all about what the trade also brought with it, namely the religion, Islam. Uh, I think that's often neglected as a point of interest. And so if you look at countries to the south today, Senegal, Mali, so important in Islamic history. Uh, their Islamic origins are from here. That is to say, what is today Morocco? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the earliest centuries of Islam. And it's, one, it's, it's a relationship that was cemented by that powerful dynasty, the Almoravids, reiterated in its own ideological fashion by the Almohad, decorated by Morocco's fabulous uh, Marinid dynasty, a high aesthetic value, mm -hmm. all of which is seen at the site in, um, in Sijamasa. And of which course, continues today. That's an archaeological site. It's, you ask me, what is it like today? Well, it's covered with sand. And it's, <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about a place that is really the, the very edge of the, the good earth versus the Sahara Desert, which is so vast, so harsh. But uh, is, is uh, blessed with bountiful supplies of water. The work I did at the dig over those years is largely how the city supported itself. How did a city of 20 or 30,000 on the edge of the desert support itself and support this, this trade with thousands of, of uh, camels and fleets across the desert? Well, the answer is dates. Uh, ounce for ounce, the most nutritious food perhaps in the world. And Sijomasa is the capital of the Tafilelt oasis, a word that if we go back to Elizabethan times in English, Tafilelt was synonymous with the word date in London. Really? Yeah, they, they were exported. This is how Morocco was known, in, in, at least in Britain, was the land of dates. Golden dates. Yeah, and, and we, we, I mean, it's all so nicely interconnected over time. And Sijomasa certainly has a role that that uh, in today's world, uh, I would say, glorifies the Moroccan past and it connects North and South and brings to light the kind of uh, global life that existed in pre-modern times. Well, thank you again. We're, we really enjoyed talking with you and welcoming you back to Tangier. Come back soon. Well, John. Enjoy your travels south. Thank you. I'm going there later this week, going to Risani. And it's a, it's a great pleasure to be once again here at the Tanger American Legation with all of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts. 
Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean.